2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read the whole chapter, verses 1 to 18. And if you're following in the Church Bible, it's page 1197. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God... God gave us does not make us timid but gives us power, love and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me his prisoner. Rather join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. And of this Gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Let's, uh, let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that, uh, that you speak to us and that you have spoken to us and made yourself known uh, in the scriptures and uh, most especially in the person uh, of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to know you and to know uh, you through him this morning, that your spirit would speak to us uh, through these words from Paul Uh, And Lord, that you would help us to fan into flame the gift that you have given us uh, for ministry. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, Nine years ago, almost to the day actually, uh, just uh, nine years and and about a month ago, I met uh, a man uh, for the first time, or uh, I I guess that I'd sat and talked with him for the first time. I'd seen him before, but 
I met a man who'd been in ministry uh, at that stage for about 40 years, uh, and I went to talk to him. Uh, I was about to finish Bible college, and I went to talk to him about how to do ministry uh, and to get his thoughts on that. Uh, it was a meeting that somebody uh, else teed up for me, but, uh, but it was a wonderful time. Uh, he accused me of being the most boring person that he'd ever met, uh, actually, which if you knew him is quite a critique, actually. Uh, but I was so impressed uh, with that meeting that the next, day I, uh, I had to, the next day I had to drive from Melbourne to Sydney, and so I downloaded some of his talks uh, from the internet. I downloaded three talks that he did on 2 Timothy. Uh, and I listened to those uh, talks uh, on, the way, uh, on the way to Sydney. Uh, when I got to Sydney, the first thing I did almost was uh, open my computer and send an email and ask him whether he would be willing uh, to supervise uh, my PhD. Uh, and the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, and nothing else has so shaped my life and ministry as the friendship that developed uh, out of uh, that relationship uh, and those three talks that I listened to on that long drive uh, to Sydney on 2 Timothy and the making of the man of God. Uh, and those talks I think I've listened to about 20 times or more. Uh, and I t always tell uh, anyone I ever disciple that they should listen uh, to those talks. That for me has been a, a very formative uh, friendship uh, and a formative relationship. And I suspect that for many of us there are persons or, or uh, people that we know who have been influential in shaping uh, and forming us by their life and by their example and by their wise counsel and their wise advice. And really that's what this letter of 2 Timothy is that we've started looking at today. Uh, it's a letter from Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, to his protege, or if you like Star Wars, his Padawan, his young Padawan, to uh, Timothy, his protege. Uh, and it's all about shaping Timothy to, uh, not just for the Christian life, but it includes that, but especially for his life of ministry and service of God's church. So Paul is writing uh, to Paul is a ministry leader and he's writing to another ministry leader, Timothy, and he's trying to show him and tell him what faithful gospel ministry looks like. And so as we begin five weeks of looking at uh, this letter, you might wonder, what on earth is this got to, going to have to say to me over the next five weeks? Uh, you know, you, you're probably not a pastor, I'm guessing. Uh, I think I know how many people in the church are pastors, unless I've miscounted. Uh, and and there's, there's only a handful of us here who are elders in the church. So what does a letter like this have to say to, to, to you, to us? Well, even if you're not a church leader, this letter is still important. God has put this in the Bible for all of us. This letter, this, these words from Timothy are important because even if you're not a pastor or an elder or a church leader, we're all members of, churches, of a church or churches, wherever it is, where there are other people who are leaders, pastors and elders. And as members of a church, it's important for us to know what good ministry looks like. We need to be able to recognize good ministry so that we can support it and pray for it. And we need to be able to recognize bad ministry so that we can avoid it. 
So we need to know what ministry looks like so we can recognize it. But it's also important for us to know what ministry looks like because it's a model for us in whatever ministry God has entrusted to us. So the role of pastors and elders, uh, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, is to equip the whole church for works of service. So the role of pastors and elders is not to do all the, the work of ministry in a church, but to equip a body of people so that we can all be built up by each other's gifts, so that we can all do gospel ministry. And so as we look over the next few weeks at Paul's example to Timothy of what good ministry is, it's a model for all of us in whatever ministry God has entrusted to you, it's a model so that you would know uh, how you can do faithful gospel ministry, whatever it is that God has entrusted to you. Whether that's ministry as a mum or dad, or as a Sunday school teacher, or leaf leader, or growth group leader, or in discipling a young Christian that you know, or meeting up with a friend to read the Bible one-on-one, uh, sharing the gospel with the people in your workplace, whatever it is, whether it's a ministry of the pew, the ministry that we do as we come to church and speak words to each other to encourage each other, whatever it is, Paul's model of ministry is a model for our ministry uh, as well. So that's what we're going to be thinking about today uh, and over the next four weeks as well. Well, in the chapter today then, the particular focus that Paul has is all about persevering in using the gifts that God has entrusted to us uh, and, and, and making sure that we continue to use, uh, use them well. So Paul says in verse 6, this is the key idea in this chapter, verse 6, Paul says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So in verses 2 to 5 uh, that Sonia read for us, uh, Paul has been outlining his deep love for Timothy. Uh, Paul says that Timothy was like a son to him. He longed to see him. Uh, he remembers when they parted. It was a really emotional time. They were crying. They were weeping. Uh, but he also looks back and remembers Timothy uh, and remembers him now as a man of sincere faith. He's, he's greatly encouraged by who Timothy is. And Paul says, for that reason, because of my love for you, because of your sincere faith, because of all those things, I want to say to you, don't forget, I want to remind you, fan into flame the gift of God. Because I love you, because I've seen the faith that God has given to you, I want you to, uh, to do all the ministry that God has equipped you to do. And so I want you to fan into flame the gift of God. What's the gift of God? The gift of God is the Holy Spirit and the gifts, in particular, that the Holy Spirit has given to Timothy to do the ministry that God has given him. You can see that because the next verse begins with four. That is, an, it's an explanation. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. Four, because the Spirit God gave us is... So the, the reason he has to fan uh, into flame that ministry is because he has this Spirit of God as a gift... Timothy's a believer, he belongs to Jesus, and so, as a believer, he has the Spirit of God living in him. And the Spirit has equipped him to do ministry. But that gift of the Spirit doesn't work automatically. Paul says that Timothy has to 
work. He has to fan it into flame. You've probably noticed that it's winter, uh, and, uh, and in winter it gets cold. Uh, and some of you, I think, uh, probably have heat pumps, some of you maybe have electric heaters, but some of you have wood fires. Uh, and uh, there's nothing better than, than lighting a wood fire in the middle of the winter. But the problem with a wood fire is that you have to keep looking after it, don't you? That you, you can't just light it uh, and, then, and then leave it for a few months uh, and hope that by the end of winter it'll still be going. You, can't, you probably can't even leave it for a few hours and hope that it's still going. You have to keep putting wood into it. You have to keep stoking it. You have to keep rearranging it. I don't know. Whenever I go to people's houses, they're always you know, fussing around with the fire and doing all kinds of things. I think it just you know, is to make themselves feel useful or something like that. But you have, you have to keep working that fire to keep it going. And Paul says that's what the gift of the Spirit that God has given to us for ministry is like. We have to keep working to keep it alight. We have to keep working to keep that gift burning brightly. Because otherwise it will die out and die down. We tend to think of our role, I think, in relation to the Holy Spirit's ministry as quite passive. So we just stand there and then the Spirit just does His work. But Paul says it's not like that at all. We have to work at it. Paul says to Timothy, work to cultivate the gifts that God has given you through His Spirit. If you don't do that, you'll become useless and ineffective. So if you belong to Jesus, if you've, uh, if you've trusted him for your salvation, if you've uh, received the gift of reconciliation with God through Jesus, then you have the Spirit of God. That's, a, that's the gift of salvation. And God has given you, through that Spirit, gifts with which to serve him. But if you don't fan those gifts into flame, if you don't work to keep them alight, then you'll be ineffective in your service of Jesus. So often we just wait. We just wait for those gifts to somehow magically appear. As though one day we'll turn up to church and all of a sudden we'll be thoroughly equipped to be a youth leader or a Sunday school teacher or a growth group leader or, or, doing, or to read the Bible one-on-one with somebody. But, but Paul says to Timothy, no, it doesn't work like that. You have to fan it into flame. We, you can't just wait for it to work. You can't just wait for somebody to ask you to do something. You can't just wait for a more convenient time in life. Those times never come. You need to fan it into flame. Alternatively, of course, Some of us might have done that in the past. We might have worked hard in serving the Lord Jesus. And we've given our time, we've given our effort, and we've we've done great things in, in the service of Christ. But those times are now a bit bit of a distant memory. We've stopped keeping the fire going. There was a time when it was burning brightly. But now it's just dying out. There's a little bit of light, but not much. Well, Paul says to Timothy, don't do that. God says to us, to you, don't do it. 
fan into flame the gift of God, keep it burning. So we're to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in us through the Holy Spirit. But how do we do that? Well, Paul goes on through the rest of this chapter, and indeed I think through the rest of this book, to say how to do that. Uh, and there are three things, I think, that he, that he says to Timothy in this particular chapter. First, he says, don't be timid. Verse 7, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. It's helpful to understand that Timothy was in a ministry situation where there were people in the church who were undermining the gospel. There were people in the church who were teaching errors and leading people astray. And in fact, they were undermining Timothy's ministry. And it seems that what Paul is concerned about is that Timothy might be so afraid of what's going on in his church and so afraid of those people that he may not stand up to them. And he might just cower in fear and not actually do the ministry to which he was called. And so Paul says to him, fan this gift into, uh, that God has given you into flame because God has not given us a spirit of timidity but of power, love and self-discipline. The Spirit gives us power, Paul says, and strength to do ministry. So often when we think about ministry, when someone asks us to do something uh, in serving others in the church, uh, or whatever it might be, our first thought is, what am I good at? What, can, what do I have the power to do? But Paul says to Timothy, actually, we have a spirit of power who can equip us to do ministry. Paul says to Timothy, don't be timid because the Spirit gives you the power to do the ministry that God has put before you. He's given you that ministry and he's given you the gifts to do it. God isn't like, um, you know, an employer who uh, employs you and, uh, and, and gives you no training and no insight into the job. They just employ you and they say, well, there you are. There's the job description, go and do it. And God's not even like the best employer. Uh, you know, like when I, when I worked for Defence, there was no end of training courses. There was no end of training courses that you could be sent on. You, you were employed. I remember uh, one on, on receiving, giving and receiving feedback. I remember one on all kinds of uh, technology stuff. They trained you to do the job that you were required to do. But God not only trains us through his church to do the ministry, he goes one step further than that and he empowers us to do it. He gives us the strength to do the ministry that he's put before us. Second, the Spirit gives us love. It might not be immediately obvious how love relates to fear. But love actually has a tremendous power to overcome fear. People undertake all kinds of extraordinary feats of, uh, of courage because of deep love. So a, a parent can rescue their child. They can, they can uh, dive into a, a, a dangerous uh, situation in the sea in order to rescue their child or, or jump in front of a, a car or a vehicle. Uh, a, a soldier can can jump on a, a grenade in wartime to save their, their, their friends. Underlying courage is often profound love. 
And in the same way, our love, chiefly our love for God, and then also our love for those to whom we minister, that love is a great remedy to fear. Paul says, don't be afraid, but fan into flame that gift of ministry. Do the ministry, believing that God has given you this spirit of power and of love, and lastly, self-discipline, or maybe better, soundness of mind. Self-discipline or steadiness or a balanced mind can help us face the complexities of life and ministry. And notice here too that this is not just a, this is not a psychological characteristic. Paul is not saying, Timothy, be encouraged. There are some people who have greater mental ballast than others. No, he's saying that God has given you He's given you a spirit of power and of love and of steadiness of mind, steadiness of purpose. It's a characteristic that can be fanned into flame by seeking it, praying for it, and doing the ministry, believing and trusting that God will use us and protect us. So how are we to fan the gift of God into flame? Well, we're not to be afraid, but we're to do the ministry that God's put before us. And as we do it, we're to trust, we're to not be afraid, but we're to trust that God has given us this spirit of power and of love uh, and of a sound mind. Second, Paul says, we're not to be ashamed, but to join in suffering for the gospel. So verse 8, Paul says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So Paul rightly understands, I think, that one of our biggest problems is that we can be ashamed both of the gospel and of gospel workers. In fact, quite often Paul says in the New Testament something like this. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Presumably, the reason that he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and the reason that he tells Timothy, Timothy not to be ashamed of the gospel is because so often our greatest temptation is to be ashamed of the gospel. Our problem is, uh, is often not that we disbelieve the gospel. Our biggest problem is that we're ashamed of it. We don't want to say anything about it because we're afraid of what people might think. I think it's John Piper who said, we're not afraid of the raised fist, but of the raised eyebrow. We're ashamed of the gospel. And when we see others standing up for the gospel, we're ashamed of them as well. So you might watch something like Q&A, and and, uh, a few times they've had a a Christian person on Q&A. And maybe as as you watch that person answering those questions... Uh, deep down, you're just a bit, of, a bit ashamed. You think to yourself, well, well, that wasn't a very good answer to the question, was it? You know, what will people think of us now because of the way that you've answered that question? But actually, the truth is, not that they've answered the question poorly. The, question, the problem is that they've actually answered the question quite well, but we're ashamed of the gospel. We're ashamed of what the real answer is. And we're ashamed of what people will think of us for believing that. 
Or perhaps we're out with a friend and they start trying to share the gospel with someone. So often our immediate response to that can be shame. I wish they wouldn't do this while I was sitting here. What will this person think of me? Paul says to us, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Rather, that's the negative side, rather, positive, join with me in suffering for the gospel. The implication is that not being ashamed of the gospel implies that we need to suffer for the gospel. Either we're ashamed of the gospel and not suffering, or we're not ashamed of the gospel and joining in suffering for the gospel. What kind of sufferings does Paul undergo for the sake of the gospel? Well, 2 Timothy is full of examples of the way that Paul suffered for the gospel. He's suffering through separation from Timothy. So he read that at the beginning of the chapter. He longs to see, to, to see Timothy, but they're separated because they're each pursuing gospel ministry in different places. They'd love to be together, They'd love to be able to see each other face to face, but they're not able to because of their commitment to gospel ministry. One of the ways that we, one of the real ways that we suffer for the gospel is by having to leave behind or farewell people we love, either so that they can pursue gospel ministry or so that we can pursue gospel ministry. We've already prayed this, this morning, a thought this morning about one family from our church who's gone to the other side of the world and we don't see because they're pursuing gospel ministry in another part of the world and there are others too who have gone out from us and you might be able to think of others still paul has also uh, been deserted by friends uh, so look at verse 15 you know that everyone in the province of asia has deserted me including phygelus and homogenes they'd abandoned him uh, and not only had uh, people abandoned him, but people that he'd trained for gospel ministry, people who had partnered with him in the past in gospel ministry, have deserted the gospel. He says in chapter 4, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. I remember hearing Don Carson speak once uh, about an, a, a terrible week in his life. Uh, he and his wife were in England, uh, and on, I think it was on the Tuesday of the week, uh, his wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. And a few days later, within one or two days, the pastor of their church uh, left the church, uh, ran off with another man uh, and abandoned the gospel. Uh, and he said, we cried more on Thursday than we did on Tuesday. people that we've partnered with in gospel ministry abandon the gospel and we suffer and we know from other places in the new testament like 2 corinthians and acts we know other ways that paul suffered he was beaten he was shipwrecked he starved uh, he was homeless uh, in some ways and all for the sake of gospel ministry and as I said before, Timothy's own situation in the church in Ephesus is no kind of island paradise. His church is full of misguided teachers, full of misguided people, and there are people who are actively opposing him and trying to undermine his ministry. And Paul says, actually, it's only going to get worse. 
You see, suffering for the gospel is writ large on every page of the New Testament. If we're not ashamed of the gospel, we'll join in suffering for the gospel. And so a great question to ask is, what gospel suffering is there in your life? Perhaps it's sadness seeing friends go. Perhaps it's people who have abandoned you and your faithful gospel ministry. Perhaps it's the raised eyebrow at work or in the family. So it's a great question to ask what kind of gospel suffering we're engaged in because if we're not engaged in gospel suffering, then that probably means that we're ashamed of the gospel. But what a great encouragement it is if you are suffering for the gospel. What a great encouragement it is because you're walking in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul and Timothy and you're walking in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus. No servant is greater than his master, Jesus said. They persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. And why is Paul not ashamed of the gospel but willing to suffer for the gospel? Because, verse 9, he has saved us, God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's the gospel for which Paul suffers and of which he is not ashamed. What a tragedy to be ashamed of that gospel. The grace of God from the beginning of time. The appearing of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. The destruction of death and bringing life and immortality to light. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, God says, but join in suffering for the gospel. So we're to fan into flame the gift of God by not being afraid, but doing ministry, trusting that the Spirit equips us with power, love and a sound mind. We're to fan into flame the gift of God by not being ashamed of the gospel, but joining in suffering for the gospel. Last of all, we're to fan into flame the gift of God by guarding the gospel. Verse 13, what you heard from me, Paul says, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Paul says to Timothy, he has to guard the truth of the gospel. He has to guard it because it's the saving message of God in Christ Jesus. It's a message of how we can be reconciled to God through Jesus. So to distort that message, to lose sight of that message, for that message to be corrupted is to lose the way to God. You can't fan into flame the gift of God if the gospel that you're serving is no longer the gospel. I read an article this week uh, on a news website by a man who's the Bible College lecturer at one of the Bible colleges in Australia. Uh, in that article, 
he was encouraging the Christian church to adopt uh, and assent to the very things that God forbids in the Bible. That man had lost the gospel, laboring away in a Bible college, teaching another generation of pastors, but he'd failed to guard the gospel. We need to guard the gospel. Otherwise, we lose the message of reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. Well, how do we guard the gospel? Paul says we do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. How does the Spirit help us to guard the gospel? Well, the Spirit helps us in making us alert to what the true gospel is and alert to where errors in the church are arising. So we need the Spirit to that end, to to, to see those things. But more than that, Timothy uh, and us, we need the strength, we need the strength of the Spirit, the help of the Spirit, uh, in order to maintain the true gospel, because it's exhausting and discouraging to vigilantly protect the gospel and to correct errors. It's so tiring, isn't it? It's to, to maintain the gospel against the constant onslaught of those who would deny the gospel is exhausting. And it can be discouraging when people that, and in Paul and Timothy's case, he'd invested in people, uh, he'd taught them, he'd, he'd trained them in gospel ministry, and then they start to go astray. And it's discouraging to try and teach and correct those people and bring them back to the truth. And it's so tiring when there are people who are so slow to learn. It's, you try to teach them the gospel, but they just don't hear it. And God calls us to faithfully persevere with that, doesn't he? But it's so hard to keep doing that to keep with great patience and careful instruction, as Paul says later in the letter, to keep teaching without resentment, with great patience and careful instruction. We need the strength of the Spirit so that we're not discouraged and so that we're not tired out by holding fast to the gospel and helping others to hold fast to the gospel. Well, all of us uh, need to guard the gospel in our own lives and in our families. And so we all need to ask for the Holy Spirit's help to do that. But actually, the task of guarding the gospel too is especially the task of pastors and elders. Timothy is is a church leader who's been entrusted with that role by God of guarding the gospel in his church in Ephesus. And like Timothy... uh, I and Steve and the other elders have been entrusted with that responsibility of guarding the gospel. If this church abandons the gospel, we will have to give an account on the last day for that. And so we need your prayers so that we would guard the gospel and so that we would guard and protect this church. We need your prayers so that this church is still a gospel-believing church in five years' time, or in 10 years' time, or in 20 years' time, or in 50 years' time. Because unless we have the Holy Spirit's help to guard the gospel, this church, like so many other churches, will not believe the gospel 
in a generation. Well, God calls us to fan into flame the gift of God which is in us if we belong to Jesus. We're to do that by not being afraid, but by doing ministry, trusting that the Spirit equips us with power and love and a sound mind. We're to fan into flame the gift of God that's in us by not being ashamed, but joining in suffering for the gospel. And we're to fan into flame the gift of God that's in us by guarding the gospel with the help that the Holy Spirit gives. Now, before we uh, pray, I want us to say some words together that are based on this passage that will come up on the screen. Luke, if you could put those words up. Hopefully they're there. Uh, And these words are are an opportunity for us to really to to charge each other, um, to encourage each other uh, with this same commission that Paul gave to Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God. Uh, And they're not just an opportunity for us to encourage each other to do that, but they're an opportunity for us to commit ourselves to fanning into flame the gift that God has given to us. So please, let's stand together and let's say uh, these words that are on the screen. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. Do not be afraid, but do ministry using the gifts God has given you, trusting that he has equipped you by his spirit with power, love and self-discipline. Do not be ashamed of the gospel, but join in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Guard the gospel entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Let me pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us to yourself through the gospel to a reconciled relationship with you uh, and that in that comes the wonderful gift of your spirit uh, through whom you have come and made your home with us as individuals and as a church. And Lord, thank you that through the spirit you have equipped us to serve you in many different ways, each uh, in the way that you have chosen And Lord, we pray that you would help us then to fan into flame that great gift that you have given to us. We ask that we wouldn't be afraid or that we would shrink back from doing that ministry, but that we would use the gifts that you have entrusted to us, believing that you have given us a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. Lord, we pray that you would help us not to be ashamed of the gospel. Forgive us that we have been, And help us to join in suffering for the gospel. Lord, help us to guard the gospel which you have entrusted to us. Help us to guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. For we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.